Welcome to Talking Social Studies. You are listening to episode number 35, addressing current issues in social studies classrooms today for July 18, 2019. In the words, ich bin ein Violiner. This is the podcast where we talk about social studies and education today. Here you will find conversations about strategies, resources, ideas, and more, all designed to help today's social studies teachers and their work with students. Let's introduce our host for today. I'm Amy Presley. I'm history teacher for Broken Arrow High School near Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can find me on Twitter at STLNOK. You can also follow the Talking Social Studies podcast on Twitter at T-A-L-K-I-N-S-S. And hey, everyone, I'm Chris Heffernan. I'm an eighth grade social studies teacher at Jefferson Junior High in Naperville, Illinois. You can find me on Twitter at CHeffernan75. And you can reach the Talkin' SS website at bit.ly slash TalkingSS. So one of the things that we constantly see on social media from fellow social studies teachers is how there's this huge desire to do more with current events, but there's also this real struggle with how to balance approaching current events, the emotional side of current events, you know, what do you do with the stakeholders when they when they don't like those current events, you know, stakeholders like parents or other staff members or even your administrators. Um, I teach at my state's largest high school and my kids are still pretty isolated from the greater world. I struggle with this every year. Some of the kids, I feel like I can really have those really deep and rich discussions and others, well, sometimes I feel like I'm constantly reminding everybody to just stay civil with each other. Yeah, so today we're pleased to have Laura Tavares from Facing History and ourselves on the podcast with us to share some ideas, um, you know, about addressing current events with our students. Uh, So, Laura, can you start us off and just tell us a little bit about your background with education and uh, your role with Facing History? Sure. Chris and Amy, thank you so much for having me on today. This is such an important and, as you say, challenging topic. Um, And it's one that I definitely encountered when I was still in the classroom. I'm a former teacher of social studies and English at the middle and high school level. It's something I came to after doing graduate work in history and really something I came to because I always had this belief that education was this really important foundation for a more just and inclusive and democratic world. But what I realized when I became a teacher was that I had no idea what that aspiration looked like on a Tuesday morning in 10th grade U.S. history, for example. Mm -hmm. Right? Big ideas and not a lot of tools. That was me. So when I first encountered Facing History, I really recognized that um, this was a resource to help me connect big goals in education with curriculum and resources and daily practices in the classroom. So after teaching for several years, I moved over to work on the staff of Facing History at our headquarters in Boston. First, um, working on a team of of staff that um, led seminars for teachers all around New England, did follow-up and consulting work with schools, um, and really got to just see a lot of different classrooms in a lot of different kinds of schools. After that, and, and now I joined our national program leadership team, so I have the chance to work with teachers and schools all around the U.S. and, in fact, all around the world. I get to write Facing History's classroom resources and pieces for other publications like the New York Times and Social Education. We also do a lot of collaborations with filmmakers and even some different kinds of community engagement work. So lately we've been focusing on helping educators address current events, helping young people develop a sense of agency around what's happening in the world. And so um, I'm really happy to be able to discuss that with you today. 
Well, I know I'm really excited to talk about this today because I feel like I really struggle with this. Um, my kiddos are pretty isolated. Chris, I feel like you do a much better job with this, you know, this kind of diving deeper into stuff. If you have the time and the ability that you can, you can do that. But like you guys with, with your world in high school, like you guys are so tight on time that it makes it really difficult for you to ever find the ways to, you know, expand things out into the global world. Like not that I'm trying to say that middle school and junior high don't matter, but they really don't matter. And if I don't get through everything that's on our curriculum map, it's not going to be a huge deal. And I, I have the ability to go ahead and take a little bit of time there. But you're right. For for you guys, it's so much harder to to, to do that and build that perspective of, of a whole global community. Great. Laura, can you kind of explain a little bit about what is facing history in ourselves, like, you know, the mission or the pedagogical framework, or just kind of set us up, explain kind of how this comes together? Sure. You know, it's so interesting what you say about not having a lot of time and that struggle to connect and to make things relevant for young people. Facing History was actually founded over 40 years ago in a middle school classroom just outside Boston by a teacher who was looking at what was happening outside the walls of her classroom in 1976 in Boston. It was a time of um, busing. There was a huge amount of violence happening in the city, a lot of conflict. And she was really asking, what can I be doing in here with these 13 and 14 year old students that's going to help them make sense of the complexity of the world. So Facing History was really born from the kinds of dilemmas that you're describing about how to connect the classroom with the big picture of the world outside. So now, 40 some odd years later, we have a network of about 90,000 teachers that reach about 9 million kids a year. So I think what they are attracted to is this idea that we can connect teaching about history, all of those things that are in your pacing guide and in your plan, but we, we can connect teaching about that history with developing critical thinking, emotional engagement, and the capacity to do ethical reflection in young people. Right now, at a time when we're seeing hatred on the rise in the U.S. and around the world, um, and a sense that democracies are fragile in a new way, we really want to help schools prepare young people to be active participants in creating communities that are inclusive and strong. So if people have heard of Facing History who are listening to your podcast, you might think of some of the case studies that we teach about, like about the Holocaust or about the civil rights era in the U.S. If you haven't heard of Facing History in ourselves, you might be scratching your head saying, Facing History? What does that mean? Um, and so I, our name really explains a lot of what our work is. We teach and learn about difficult moments in history, moments when human rights were violated, when times when neighbor turned against neighbor. And um, we look at those moments because we think that they can really reveal something important, not just about why um, there could be conflict and violence in, in the world, but also what it takes to make a more just and inclusive community. So we use these case studies within um, history classrooms and literature classrooms. They're about the rise of the Nazis and the Holocaust, the history of race in the U.S., including Reconstruction and the Civil Rights era, and also a lot of different work around different, um, different works of literature like To Kill a Mockingbird or Elie Wiesel's Night. But all of our work really invites teachers and students to think about some fundamental questions that really connect the past and the present. Questions about identity. What shapes my identity? How does who I am influence the choices I make? We ask questions about why this sense of 
us and them that we're seeing all over the newspapers today is such a persistent feature in human societies and certainly in the histories that, that we teach about. We also ask a question that I think is really connected to what you raised about the global world, and that is, um, how do we define our sense of responsibility in the world? Is it just our immediate family and neighbors? Is it our community and our country? To what extent do we feel responsible for people and places that we might never know personally? And those questions really help us um, make connections between our own world and history as a human experience that's the result of choices of people not unlike ourselves. And these questions are really a hook for kids because, you know, people here who know adolescents know they care about um, who am I? Do I belong? Do I fit in? But those questions are also really important for examining different moments in history. So when we approach history in this way, we think it's a really powerful entry point for teaching students about um, how to be engaged and reflective um, people and um, citizens in their communities. Oof, that's a lot to take in. All right. That's, I was just going to say, like, I found myself, like, nodding along the entire time that you were talking there, like, yes, and yes, and yes. Um, so can you kind of, like, walk us through, like, what this would look like in a classroom? Like, how do I, how do I do this? How do I start here? Because I'm, I, like I said, I am nodding along, and I am, I am all in and on board, but, like, help me get started with this. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it really starts even before any teacher grabs a piece of curriculum, decides, okay, now I'm going to, you know, do this reading about identity and get my kids to reflect on what shapes their identity, which is something we do in a classroom. This kind of work really begins in the kind of classroom environment that you nurture. So it's about how do you set up the chairs? Are they in rows or are they in a circle? How do you show that um, everybody's voice is valuable? How do you contract with kids and set norms in your classroom that will allow you to have the kinds of conversations that you want to have? Because all of these moments we're describing, both in history and in terms of engaging with difficult issues today, like the crisis on the southern border in the U.S., or um, thinking about global migration, thinking about um, something as complex as Brexit, right? All of those moments ask us to show up, not just with our head, right, and our mind and our intellect, but also with our heart, our feelings, and our conscience. And so we want to set up um, learning experiences that will allow kids to be present in that whole way. So I think maybe what would be helpful is for me to talk a little bit about, you know, how we apply this kind of teaching for the mind, the heart, and the conscience to talking about a particular current event. Do you think that would be helpful? I think that'd be extremely helpful, yes. <laughs> okay, so something that we are thinking a lot about right now um, is the situation on the southern border of the United States. Um, everything from, you know, how are we, um, how do we understand why so many migrants are coming? What is the asylum process? Um, how do we understand the rhetoric that we're hearing about immigrants and the choices that are being made? Um, how do we understand the uh, debate that's happening about the conditions in detention centers? Those are really big and difficult issues. Um, we have this practice of posting new teaching ideas about current events every other week um, on a website that your, your listeners can, can find after the show. Um, and so right now we're on hiatus because we're on summer vacation, but we're actively preparing new things for the fall. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about um, how we're thinking about addressing uh, the, the issue about the border and migration um, based on some work that we also did last year. So, you know, when I think about um, 
what I want students to, to sort of know and do in a class where I'm addressing um, the U.S. southern border. I think first I actually want to start with the heart and I want to start with emotional engagement and humanizing this issue. So we did a teaching idea several months ago called What is Our Obligation to Asylum Seekers at the time when our administration was starting to um, talk about making some changes to the asylum process. And we actually began not with a whole news article, not with a definition of asylum, but we began with an image um, of asylum seekers who were waiting on the border. And um, we asked students to, to do a see, think, wonder routine with that image. What do you see in this picture? And it was a picture of a mom and some children lying on a blanket on the ground. Um, what do you see here? What do you think about what you see? And what questions do you have? And then we ask students to do some imagining. Think about what circumstances might lie behind this family. Where, what do you think might have led them to this moment? And um, how might they envision their future? What do you think they might, they might be hoping for? Um, this is a way to humanize a really, really big issue and understand that this debate is something that is affecting individual people. We might disagree about policy, for sure, but um, we can certainly sort of understand that this is something that's affecting humans who are perhaps not so different from ourselves. So using images and using stories is, is really a good way into these complicated issues. Now, we also have to think about, you know, the mind and all this. So we've activated the heart, but um, what do we need to know? What's, what's some basic information that kids need in order to grapple with this situation? Um, this always means supporting media literacy and using reputable sources. And we, we recommend a whole bunch of sources that we think are, are quite rigorous and balanced on our website. Um, and our page has a lot of resources to support some of those skills. But, Intellectual rigor in this context also means understanding some, some sort of key information behind the issue. So what actually is asylum? Um, what are the international laws that um, govern how any country can has to respond to refugees? How does the process work? What would be some basic um, information that students would need to know to be able to really read and understand any article that has to do with asylum seekers on the border. And right now we're actually working on a new, um, a new type of content for students called an explainer that has some key terms, some key statistics, and some a sort of historical timeline that would allow them to interpret a new story like that. So like one of those DBQ project pages they have on the beginning with like the background information and stuff? Exactly. Um, so we've got the mind and the heart, and now what about the conscience? You know, what about ethical reflection? So the question that we asked in that earlier teaching idea about asylum seekers was this one. We asked, under what circumstances should a country feel responsible to accept and protect people fleeing from danger in their own countries? And what are the factors that shape how a country defines its sense of responsibility? And we actually had a quote we, uh, from Jeff Sessions when he was still the acting attorney general who said that, you know, the asylum process wasn't always meant to solve every problem anywhere, which is a, is a point of view that's really important to take on. So we put out some questions that have to do with um, what, is a, what is a country's responsibility and what shapes our sense of responsibility to particular people. So today given what's happened since we wrote that last teaching idea, I would also, you know, under ethical reflection, want to talk about 
how is it possible that uh, certain migrants could be treated in a way that has been quite dehumanizing? Um, how do we get inside the head of um, people who are in roles of power in that situation? And um, how do we understand the role of systems and bureaucracy in creating a moment that has really thrown up, I think, a lot of moral challenges for us? This is a moment where, you know, looking at history and understanding human behavior in history can really shed some light. So those are some ways that I think I would approach looking at a really complex situation like this one or really any other. Um, we did another teaching idea at the time this fall when the um, of the Senate confirmation hearings for Justice Kavanaugh, and we used that same framework of mind, heart, conscience to foster some conversation around another issue that was quite controversial. And we heard from teachers that it was pretty effective. I, I, I love this. I love the idea of, you know, using your heart, using your mind, using your conscious, because each kid looks at things a little bit differently. And you've got some kids that are more like, you know, well, you know, like you said, like whatever's on that background essay, they're going to say, well, this is what the policy is, this is what the law is. And there's other kids that are far more empathetic. And I think this gives all those kids a chance to go ahead and succeed. I hope so. Yeah, I think that it's really important to make entry points for the kid who's going to say, you know what, the real ethical issue here is the rule of law. And another kid who might say, no, the ethical issue has to do with, you know, the treatment of children. And, you know, I think the role of the teacher in this context is definitely to set some guardrails, to be a provider of facts and legitimate information, but to really make a space for some of that dialogue to occur. Awesome. Um, so what are some of the do's and don'ts that you would give to teachers when they're doing, you know, current issues that are, are difficult or divisive? And I mean, I think the, the example you just gave right there, but like, what are those do's and don'ts that, that we should keep in mind? Sure. Yes, please. I know I really struggle with this one because we've got some very emotionally responsive kiddos at my site. You know, this is not easy work and seriously, all respect to the educators who are trying to foster these conversations in all kinds of classrooms because it is really hard and it's much easier to be in the position of, you know, our, some of our colleagues at Facing History who are collecting resources and best practices and sharing, but what that looks like when you go into the classroom is challenging and so I really want to acknowledge that. With that said, because we work with so many different kinds of teachers in schools, I think we have developed a sense of some things that work and some things that don't work. Um, and I think one of the most important things to do first is as an educator to really be intentional and think about what your goals are. And, you know, is it, um, is it to create some empathy around an issue? Is it just to create awareness? Uh, is your goal to um, help students connect with something that's far away or to foster a conversation about something that's simmering right up close? A don't, I would say, is um, if you find yourself saying, I want my students to understand that X policy is wrong, um, or I want my students to um, understand that this party or that party is, um, is dangerous. That's probably a goal that you need to check yourself a little. You know, as educators, we're humans, and of course we have our own opinions and points of view, but I think becoming aware of what we're bringing into the classroom so that we can then maybe set it to the side is a really important first step. And when you talk about, you know, some of the challenges that get, um, that get voiced maybe by other administrators, other teachers, or parents, 
that is so real. And I think there's really an opportunity to establish a shared understanding in your school and your community about why this work is important. So just like, um, you know, if you were going to be teaching about the Holocaust, for example, or showing a film that had graphic imagery, maybe you would write to parents and, and let them know, or you would want them to know, why am I doing this? I think especially as we're getting into back to school time, and maybe there's some communication coming, you have a chance to let your parent community know, hey, in our classroom, we think it's really important to address current events, and um, here's what you can expect this year. And I think maybe especially in talking with administrators, there's some really, really powerful research about how important it is to teach about our current world. Teaching about current and controversial issues actually fosters um, better civic education outcomes than almost anything else we can do as teachers. So at a time when people are really leaning into civic education, that's a strong argument for talking about current events. So that that's a do. Another thing is say, I, that's such an important thing. And in, in, in up here in Illinois, at least at the middle school level, I think civics is oftentimes the uh, the forgotten social science and, and so I think this is a perfect way to get kids because you're right like if you take a look at an issue you have no choice but to become like active in some way shape or form about like going home and discussing with your family about like did you know that x y and z were happening in this country or on the border or in our community I think it's I think that's such a great way to like pull it in because I think so many teachers are like well it's not on my map and I I have to get to here but you know, the, the civics tie in here, I think is perfect. That's right. And, you know, I think every educator really wants their students to come out of class feeling empowered, feeling like they can make a difference. But um, unless we share with them some things that are going on in the world, they won't know what the arenas are where they could exert some influence. So that's important. And, you know, I notice in the in the framing for this episode, you talk about um, issues that are difficult or divisive. And I think an important practice is to think a little bit about, well, okay, what's making this issue difficult? You know, sometimes things that we were writing about on facinghistory.org um, in our current events work, they were difficult because they were scary. It was um, a terrorist attack. It was a story about police brutality where kids might see themselves um, in the in the role of the victim. So it's, it's difficult because maybe it's something that makes kids feel vulnerable. I know I have to approach it in a certain way in my classroom. If it's difficult because it's politically divisive, maybe I want to talk about take a knee, for example. That's something I'm going to approach a little bit differently. So understanding, well, what, what might be the sort of, um, what's the heat map here? What are the things that might make this conversation difficult? And then we have a whole bunch of teaching strategies collected on our site that we've sort of put together with some of those challenges. So if you want kids to process an emotionally difficult event, maybe we're going to do journaling. Maybe we're going to use um, artwork or imagery or some kind of framework that really fosters just open dialogue and sharing. Um, if we want to discuss a contentious topic, that might be different. Maybe I would actually use a silent writing strategy for kids where they're writing back and forth to each other. So more kids have voice, and there's, but there's not screaming. Maybe I would do a four corners activity or something like that. Um, so thinking about, you know, what do we anticipate from this conversation and then building in structures that will sort of hold that, I think can be a really positive practice. And finally, you know, when I think about contentious topics, I was just saying it's important to be neutral, and I, I think that's true. But I think as a teacher, you also can really establish strong boundaries. 
for the conversation in your classroom. So, you know, reasonable people can disagree about immigration policy or any other policy, but as an educator, you are totally within your rights to say, we're going to use legitimate information here, and we're going to talk about this issue recognizing the human dignity of everybody involved. We're not going to use slurs, we're not going to use epithets, and um, we're, we're really going to have this conversation in a way which is respectful and which um, follows the norms that we set up for our classroom in general. So those are all things that I think are, are really good practices. And the final thing I would share has to do with, you know, making space for hope and making space for agency, because so much of the news today is really, it's troubling. Um, it's sad. It's scary. And we always try to conclude our teaching ideas, just like we conclude our study of history, by asking, well, okay, how can people choose to participate um, in order to create a world that feels more just? Um, so we look at, well, okay, who's helping? How can we be there for people in our community that might be feeling vulnerable? And we try to offer examples and stories for kids so that they leave with a sense that there might be things that are really challenging, but there are also ways that people are making a difference. I really like I that. I love it. Yeah, I really appreciate your coming on to talk about this. I know um, as a, a young teacher, a new teacher, or even just a, like me, a teacher to a newer area, um, oftentimes we don't want to, we want well, we want to fly under the radar. We don't really want to stand out too much um, and get too much flack for attempting to do something well and then having it blow up in our face. So I found that looking at my curriculum and finding those places where the curriculum tells you to look for those emotional spots, like what was the colonials reaction to, you know, the British intolerable acts and really kind of um, look for those openings like that to have these kind of deeper connections mm -hmm. to modern mm -hmm. history. And I think it's really interesting to identify where are the moments in a history curriculum that students will make connections to the present. And, you know, I think we've seen lately the ways that that can be challenging. We've seen politicians invoke moments in history um, as a way of commenting on the present. And that can be controversial, right? But, you know, the whole reason why we study history is, I think, to be able to analyze and interpret our present world. So something that we talk a lot about when, when we, we talk about, you know, how do we in a responsible way make this bridge between the past and the present is, you know, let's, because there will be kids who are going to be in your European history class, um, you know, as like we recently heard this, this analogy to um, German concentration camps from the Nazi era, who were going to say, didn't somebody say that what's happening in the US is like concentration camps? You have a choice as a teacher. You can say, that's not in the curriculum. I'm going <laughs> to close down that conversation. I can understand why you might do that. Or you can say, well, okay, let's think about, you know, how can we use this moment or this connection, not just as a sort of weapon to bash one political party or the other, but how do we use it to ask better questions about what's happening right now? I think the most powerful role that history can play is to encourage us to sort of say, well, all right, you know, if, um, if we say politicians are, you know, stoking fear in the past, well, how do we, you know, what role does fear play in how we might make decisions now? How can we tell when fears are legitimate or not? Or um, if, you know, we see 
national conversation using language about us and them. Well, what does history suggest about um, why that's such a powerful thing to do and what some of the challenges are when we have a lot of that rhetoric? So I, I am in favor of, you know, allowing kids to make connections between the past and the present, but guiding them as the educator in a way that looks at not only what's similar, but also what's different and really turns some of those connections into deeper questions. Laura, this has been just absolutely amazing. Like I, I am, I still got three weeks until I have students doing the math today. Um, but I'm, I'm after this conversation, like I am ready to go back and, and so excited about what, uh, what we can do now. Um, if people want more information, um, how can they reach out to either you or to Facing History? Like what are the best ways to, to get in contact with you? That's great. We would really love to be able to uh, work with your listeners and, and support, you know, what these what your educators are, are doing in the classroom. You can go to our website, which is facinghistory.org. And um, under educator resources, you'll, you'll be able to find our current events page. And so that's where you can find all of those specific teaching ideas that I've been talking about. We're on a summer hiatus right now, but we'll be coming back and right about when you go back to school in mid-August. Okay. Um, and also on that page is something that might be helpful. We created a checklist, um, which is a PDF document that actually has space for teachers to do some of that self-reflection that I was describing. And it's got links to all of those teaching strategies that I talked about so that you will have the tools as a teacher to really address um, any issue that you want to discuss in your in your classroom. In early September, we'll be doing a webinar um, talking about current events more deeply um, that folks can find on our website. And also on that current events page, probably the best thing to do is sign up. We do an every other week um, email update. So you'll just get the newest teaching ideas right in your inbox. So if you do that, you don't have to worry about coming to the website because the newest teaching ideas will come right to you. Excellent. I like that. And thank you so much, Laura, for coming on and talking with us. Totally my pleasure. And um, I would love to hear more about what happens in your classrooms as you get back to school. And it was just really great to meet you and be able to have this conversation. Likewise. Amy, what do we have coming up in, a, in two weeks? Well, Chris, I really don't know. We kind of were going to toss it back to our listeners. Do you want like a back to school thing? Is that something you're like, don't don't even talk about that word yet? <laughs> Send us a tweet and let us know what you want to hear about. So until next time. Till next time. And we'll still say, this was a fighting